Blog Talk Radio. You know, some people say I'm crazy. I've been called crazy old man. I've been called the crazy dirty old man. I've been called the wise crazy old man. I've been called the crazy old white man. People keep saying I'm crazy. Well, to you people, thank you, because you're right. And this is the Crazy Old Man Network. There are obviously tens of thousands of innocent people currently languishing in prison in the United States. And so the Innocence Project is in a race against time. Time. They say criminals should be locked in prison, but they living in a big house that's white. It's not right. We gotta fight. They don't lock up corporate criminals that ruin the planet. Jails filled with nonviolent offenders, and it's tragic. Mistreated, got heated, how they treated like animals. Corporations invading countries like cannibals for capital. The actual conditions in prison, they meant for living. It's like torture, they give it with night fights and listeners. The rehabilitation or correction or direction is corruption. They got gangs, they can stop the way it's running. They makes coming out worse. They immersed in dysfunction. Prison abolition is written on by Gotta stop the profit in prison, get driven and change the yeah. societal conditions cause inequality and robbery. Technology is something that's not distributed prop to America. One can afford the right lawyer's price. The other goes to jail for like 25 to life. Not given rehabilitation and incarceration. The United States is the only democracy on this planet that executes its prisoners. There is still the idea that if you've been arrested, you did something. It's no escape. It's all about profit. No stopping rape. In this place, they give no contraception for protection. So you know AIDS is spread and infected with no threat. They never gave reparations for slavery and bad habits. It's packed with mostly blacks and Hispanics. It's riddled with a lot who got time that's innocent. I start to explain with the hurricane's pain. It's a shame. There's so much racism in the system. Daryl Hunt was innocent but served 20 years in prison. His innocence was presented with DNA evidence. Similar things often happen. It happened to Charles Chapman. It happened to Arthur Logan. There's so many we don't know. And Philly, we've been calling for them to let Mamiya go. And Mandela the 27 in a place that's like the opposite of heaven. Rockefeller drug laws is used as a weapon in deception of detention. How come these men are free? Free. Free. Because DNA testing proved that they didn't do it. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. Discrimination in the past readily is left present. Evidently, you can see they should end the death penalty. Yeah. They ready with the facts and what happened to Aaron Patterson. The Innocence Project helps the innocent to shackle it. Movie after innocence, after you witness it, you see the significance of changing the whole system. It's the real Shawshank Redemption that needs attention. A pile of Arizona should be locked in detention. Yeah. These inmates rot the rule, make them stay in high tent. Cops get take orders from this demonic sheriff's death. Many inmates on death row was exonerated, showing the penalty of death can't be. Tolerate to have the right funds, get the records expunged. It's a bunch of insanity, a system that had to be changed up dramatically. Factually, it's actually one of the worst ways of not acting democratically. Torture and solitary, prisoner abuse is not very conducive to solutions. It's quite the contrary. It's way too overcrowded, but do they care? I doubt it, because it's not about logic. It's that they pocket in the property. Because you're actually nothing. All you are is something locked in a cage back and forth every day. In actuality, all our family should be up here with us because they all suffer. For every one of us up here, there's hundreds more in prison that don't belong here. Everything in life is wonderful, and then one day, somebody comes up and tells a lie on you and you end up in jail. I had to fight despite lawyers, despite prosecutors who tried to destroy evidence. I had to fight, I had to fight, I had to fight, I had to fight. My mom and dad spent over $150,000 
on loyalty. That was their retirement money. And I'm not just trying to get compensation for me. I'm trying to get compensation for the guys that come out before me, for the guys that's going to come out after me. You see, this is my reason. My reason. Hey, my reason. you see any justice, you must step up and do something about it. And that's what we're trying to do out here now. This is going to be a fairly short show. Uh, we're going to hear a thing about Dominique Green, the saint of death row. After that, I may do some talking, and I may not. I don't know, but we'll find out. So, here we go. That was a justice system by Dr. Prison Activism is the second part of the injustice system. We're going to be talking about prison conditions. And we're going to talk about how bad things are for the prisoners. Now, you're probably saying, well, they deserve what they get. Well, not all of them do. There are a lot of prisoners who are going to get out someday. And if we aren't humane to them, when they get out, they won't be humane to us. About 80% of those in prison will get out. Granted, the people with violent crimes and murderers shouldn't have it easy. (coughs) But they shouldn't have it abusive either. Have a good day. Okay. Today I was trying to get things together for the show and I found a story about Dominique Green he was executed on October 26 2004 he was the subject of a book by Thomas Cahill and the book I've got to get called The Sitting on Death Row. And I'm going to play an interview of Thomas Cahill. And then after that, I'm going to do some talking about Feeling lost in a sea of economic news? Start making sense of it on Planet Money. Now blogging, podcasting, and taking your questions at npr.org slash money. I'm Michelle Martin, and this is Tell Me More from NPR News. Coming up, the queen of soul, that is. Yes, Miss Aretha Franklin. She'll tell us why she re-recorded My Country Tis of Thee the song she performed at the inauguration, and she'll tell us more about that fabulous hat that's coming up. But first, if you are a fan of popular history books, and you probably know the name Thomas Cahill. He's known for historical bestsellers like How the Irish Saved Civilization and Mysteries of the Middle Ages. But here's a name you probably don't know, Dominique Green. At the age of 18, he was arrested after the fatal shooting of a man during a robbery outside a Texas convenience store. Green was present, but always insisted he did not pull the trigger, which was also the testimony of the only independent eyewitness. Still, 
Green was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death by lethal injection in 2004. How Thomas Cahill came to befriend Dominique Green is part of Cahill's latest book, but it's only a part. The focus is on Green himself, who, after 12 years on death row, became an inspiration to those around him, which is why Thomas Cahill's new book is called A Saint on Death Row, the story of Dominique Green. And Thomas Cahill joins us now from our New York Bureau. Welcome. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you for inviting me, Michelle. I think some people are going to have trouble swallowing saint. Saint on death row is something that some people are going to have trouble wrapping their heads around. So why well, saint? Well, I like, I like in-your-face titles. Now the Irish civilization was another one. Uh, why saint? I think he really was a saint. I think he was a saint in the ordinary sense of the word. He was somebody who was extraordinarily kind and extraordinarily patient. But I think also, even more than that, he was, in a more theological sense, a saint. He was somebody whom I know many people think that he is still instrumental in their lives. People who met him in his last years and were, in some way, their lives were transformed by that meeting. And um, they remember him not just as somebody who's dead and gone, but as somebody who is still a living presence. You write in your book that often the first question you are asked is, did he do it? Mm. And you go on to say, that's the wrong question. What's the right question? The right question is, did he receive a fair trial? The truth of the matter is that for middle-class people, the people likely to buy this book, if you or your child was in the kind of trouble that Dominique was in, you would immediately find a good lawyer and get down there to the police precinct and your child or yourself or your whoever it was that you were trying to take care of would not end up on death row or anything remotely like it. Why? Because you would have had good legal counsel. Uh, the reason that people end up on death row is not because they committed murder, it's because they're poor. To the question of whether he got a fair trial or not, right at the very beginning of the book, you have this litany of things that happened at the trial that, for many people, will shock the conscience. Do you do you want mm -hmm. to tell me what some of those things are, or read from the book, or? There are a whole bunch of them, really. That, in fact, you know, it's interesting that the widow of the man who was killed attended the trial. A very fair-minded woman. Uh, a very good-hearted person, in fact. And as she listened, she thought, this isn't a trial. This is some sort of preordained ritual where they know exactly how it's going to come out in the end. This kid has nobody on his side, and he's not being defended properly. Uh, and that's exactly the case. I mean, the weirdest things happened in this trial, but not for Texas, i got to say. Stuff like this goes on all the time. Well, give an Texas. example for people who aren't aware of this stuff. Um, Dominique's mother was diagnosed repeatedly as a schizophrenic. She had multiple personality disorder. His uh, attorneys, the attorney supposedly representing him, called her to the stand which was a terrible mistake, which they would have avoided if they had bothered to ask the defendant whether he wanted his mother brought to the stand. Um, the mother was asked if she thought that her son was capable of murder, and she said, yes, of course he is. He's just like me. Mm -hmm. uh, when later at the sentencing uh, phase he, she was asked what should be done with Dominique, she said you should impose on him the full extent of the law. 
no good attorney would have called her to the witness stand. You also write, the only independent eyewitness did not identify Dominique as the killer. Yeah, the police, than that, it, the police know, the, did a deal with one of the boys, the only white one, that yeah. left Dominique charged with and convicted of capital murder. The white boy never charged with anything, went free, and the district attorney interfered with investigators attempting to interview him, and the three blacks went to prison. He mm-hmm. alone was sentenced to death after testimony from a psychologist known to believe that African Americans and Latinos are more prone to violence than others are likely to be, apparently, which was never challenged by his own people. No. No, no. Well, not only was that not challenged, that psychiatrist uh, was, in fact, representing the defense. Mm -hmm. He appeared on behalf of the defense. He was called by Dominique's lawyers. No one would call a man like that if you were representing a minority defendant and if you knew anything at all about anything. That's just not how it goes. So I say the first question is, did he receive a fair trial? The answer to that is no. If you're just joining us, I'm Michelle Martin, and this is Tell Me More from NPR News. I'm speaking with Thomas Cahill. His new book is A Saint on Death Row, the story of Dominique Green. How did you two meet? Uh, An acquaintance of mine, a then acquaintance, now a friend, Sheila Murphy, uh, who is a retired judge from Chicago, was asked by a religious community in Rome who had befriended Dominique if she would help in his final appeals which she agreed to do. And uh, I, on another book tour, I ended my tour in Houston just before Christmas, and she said, well, then you can visit Dominique. And I could tell you that was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. And uh, I thought, oh, God, another day in Houston, going out to see this guy in the middle of nowhere. We'll have nothing in common. It's going to be like pulling teeth. It will be so awful. But I, I felt I had to say yes. Why? Why did you go? Well, you should visit people in prison. <laughs> You really should. Mm-hmm. And if you're invited to do so, you really should go. It was a mitzvah. It was just a nice thing. Well, you can call it that, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, when Isaiah talks about the day of the Lord will be the day of the freedom of prisoners, uh, I think uh, you have to take that seriously. So you just thought you were going to meet the I guy, just expected, be nice for one day, have a chat? Yeah, I thought it would be hard. It was not hard at all. He was so articulate and smart and sympathetic and he was such a wonderful conversationalist. He had such a terrific sense of humor. It was just all so different from anything I expected. The time went by, it seemed, in no time at all. I couldn't believe that I met this guy on death row. And then what happened? Well, I guess I got more involved in the case, and um, unfortunately, you could almost see where it was. Uh, Sheila Murphy did her best. She did a great job, but n- no one was going to let Dominique Green off the hook. And they didn't. In fact, he was executed yeah. in 2004. Yeah. Were you there? No, I could not be. I was in Germany the night of his execution. But I asked uh, Sheila's assistant uh, in Chicago to call me no matter what the time was. And she called me about 2 o'clock in the morning and um, told me that he was gone. And After I put down the phone, I looked out across the street, and across from my hotel was this enormous, elaborate gate that the Romans had put up in uh, the second century A.D. Uh, It was made of these huge stones and had been put in place by slaves, and I just thought about the Romans and thought they knew that they owned the world. They knew that they were the greatest. What they didn't know was that they were extremely cruel, 
They enjoyed blood sports. They enjoyed the gladiators in the ring. They enjoyed watching uh, poor devils be eaten alive by wild beasts. Um, but they never let themselves know how cruel they were. And uh, I have to say that I, I feel that Americans have in some way replaced the Romans as the great leaders of the world who also hide from themselves their own cruelty. What was it about this guy that touched so many people? He really did touch an awful lot of people. There's no two ways about that. I think, first of all, and most importantly, he touched other people on death row, and I think that was his intention. He really wanted to help his fellow brothers, people like him who had no resources except the resources of their own wits. And uh, he became a, a real legal expert and was very helpful to uh, getting a number of people off death row, things that he actually couldn't manage to do for himself. He managed to do for others. One of the people whom Dominique came to touch, whose life he came to touch, was one of the sons of the victim. His name is Andre Lestrop, and at the execution, Andre told reporters, I felt it was dirty, and the state will have their chance to face a higher authority, that is God. The hell with Texas and the justice system, a couple of things here that I can't You can't say the over radio. the air, right? Yeah. And I'm, he says, I'm speaking from the heart, I really mean that, I mean Andrew Lestrop, was yeah. my daddy in the first place. I forgave Dominique. I know God has a place for Dominique in heaven. The person I met doesn't deserve to die. He became close to me, and I pray that he goes to heaven. It's pretty remarkable from a person who had his father taken away. From the Lestrap family is pretty mm -hmm. remarkable. Um, the mother of those young men, uh, Bernada Lestrap, uh, I met her. She's in a nursing home. She had a stroke, and she's paralyzed on one side, but... There's nothing paralyzed about her mind. And I said to her, how did you forgive? Because she wasn't only talking about Dominique. I said, how did you forgive these kids? And she just looked straight at me and said, isn't that what we're supposed to do? <laughs> I thought that, that was one of the best answers I've ever heard to any question. Another player in all this was Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who yeah. actually visited Dominique on death row on a trip to the U.S. from South Africa. How did those two affect each other? The first time I met Dominique, uh, one of the things we talked about was a book he had just finished, which was a book by Archbishop Tutu called No Future Without Forgiveness. It was a book about Tutu's chairmanship of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa, which was a unique uh, effort to put to rest the history of apartheid after it was over and allow the society to heal and go on. And uh, the idea behind it was that no matter what you had done during the apartheid era, you were invited to say what you had done. And then you were invited to ask for forgiveness from the victims or the victims' families. In most cases, the victims were dead. And Dominique decided that this was the, the program that he and his fellow inmates must follow. He forgave everybody who had hurt him, including his mother, which was not an easy thing to do. He asked for forgiveness from everyone he had hurt insofar as he could do so. And he passed the book up and down death row and urged other inmates to read it and to forgive and ask for forgiveness. That's quintessential Dominique. That's what the man was like. What do you hope people will 
draw from this book, particularly given that you and other advocates for Dominique Green did not succeed in saving his life? I would like you to know Dominique Green. That's the first and most important part. I want to tell his story. This is not basically a contentious book about the death penalty. It's a book about one person's life. And it is a beautiful life. It is the life of a saint, even though a saint on death row. There are many big questions that you raise in, in the book, the most obvious of which is the fairness of the death penalty. But mm-hmm. you also make several very strong comments about the way this country takes responsibility for its children or refuses to do so. And you make some comparisons to ancient civilizations, which you have studied, yeah. where you talk about the way societies that we consider more primitive than our own have sort of sacrificed their children openly. You, you make the argument that we're, in effect, doing the same thing. Why do you say that? I don't think that the death penalty has anything to do with justice. You can't get justice out of this thing at all. Uh, all of us just been through this incredible national drama in which bankers and uh, hedge fund man- managers have stolen everything from everybody. Uh, I wonder how many of them will go to prison. Very, very few. And outside of someone like Bernie Madoff, maybe no one. Why is that? Because they'll have good lawyers. So why do we sacrifice the poor and minorities on this altar, which is basically an altar of human sacrifice? It's like something out of prehistoric times. I think we're saying, well, somebody has to suffer here, but not me. Take him. Put him on the altar. Let him be sacrificed. But what about those who argue that there are some crimes which represent the outer boundary of what society can tolerate, and there has to be an yeah, ultimate what? sanction, and the, the, those would argue people who torture people, people who abuse children. There needs to be an ultimate penalty, if only to set an outer boundary. What do you say to that? You know, recently the Innocence Project uh, has, throughout the country, been reviewing old cases um, involving DNA. Now, um, not all cases involve DNA, but many do, and they have found that one in eight of all the convictions that they go over is the conviction of someone who was innocent. One in eight. So do we really want to make that mistake that often, or would we like to be able to say, well, this guy has been in prison for 30 years, and we just found out he didn't do it. At least he's still there, and we can let him out. Why do we insist on taking his life? I think that we have to admit that our motivation is not based on justice. It's based on something else. One thing I was curious about is that, uh, as we mentioned, Green was executed in 2003, the year before. Mm-hmm. This, the book was just published. I'm wondering why, why so long. It took five years. Why is that? Once I started the book about Dominique, I ran into severe difficulties, and the difficulties were not difficulties in collecting information, or even difficulties of interpretation. The difficulties were inside of me. Every day I worked on the book, I was coming closer to a description of his execution. And I think for everyone who was close to that particular execution, we will never recover from it. We'll never get over it. Uh, it. It was putting out a great light Therefore, it's very hard to write such a book. 
Thomas Cahill is the author of A Saint on Death Row, the story of Dominique Green, as well as five other books of history, including How the Irish Saved Civilization, The Gifts of the Jews, Mysteries of the Middle Ages. They are all part of the Hinges of History series. A Saint on Death Row is available on bookshelves now, and Thomas Cahill was kind enough to join us from our New York Bureau. Mr. Cahill, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you, Michelle. Feeling lost in a sea of economic news? Start making... Feeling lost in a sea of economic... There we go, a little problem there. Well, I did some more looking up on Dominique. As I said before, he was texecuted. Not executed, but texecuted. Texas is a uh, executes more people than many countries do, really. And the other states too, uh, it can take 20 years before the person is executed. I sometimes wonder how they decide who they're going to execute and who they're not going to execute. But in Texas, it only takes about nine or ten years and but the thing is that by the time the person gets executed they're not the same person that committed the crime a lot of death row inmates realize their error and they They turn out better than what they were. In many cases, very good men or women. Of course, then some of them get worse because of the conditions. But Dominique's last words. There was a lot of people that got me to this point, and I can't thank them all. But thank you for your love and your support. They have allowed me to do a lot more than I could have done on my own. I have overcome a lot. I am not angry, but I am disappointed that I was denied justice. But I am happy that I was offered, that I was afforded, you all as family and friends. I love you all. Please keep up the struggle going. I am just sorry and I am that I am not strong enough as strong as I thought I was going to be. But I guess it only hurts for a little while. You're all my family. Please keep my memory alive. I want to do what I can to keep his memory alive. As Mr. Cahill was saying, 
a death penalty is the poor penalty. People with money, or with families of mon that have money, are never going to get executed. And because a high number of blacks are in poverty, more blacks are the are executed, not in white, but more blacks are executed percentage-wise as a percentage of the population. But this, it is, like I say, though, a poor man's penalty. There's this article that I found in finearticles.com. It was in a National Catholic Reporter on November 5th, 2004. It was written by Dennis Cody. Victims dominate Green's life. Victims' family pleads for clemency but officials turned deaf ears. It seems like Texas loves to execute people. And they don't care if they're innocent because a lot of times they know that some of these people are innocent. And the thing is a lot of people just don't care. They don't care that their state is murdering people. Because that's what it is. Well, they were guilty. The jury said they did it. What the jury says and what really happened are two different things in many cases. Juries can be swayed by lies. And there are a lot of cases where people are lying. And a lot of cases where the, the people who actually committed the crime are the ones that are the star witnesses and get them convicted. Let's get to the article. Legal wrangling continued. Texas State Attorney General's Office objected to the reprieve. And the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in New Orleans overturned it at 5.30 p.m. Green's lawyers went to the U.S. Supreme Court, but it refused to hear the case. About 7.30 p.m., Green received the word his execution would proceed. Green's five witnesses were led into the room to watch Green die. Separated glass. Green could see them, could see them, but not hear them. They could see Green strapped to the hospital like Gurney, 
by thick leather belts and covered with white sheets. His head propped on a pillow. His arms were extended, crucifixion style. According to Atwood and wrapped in ace bandage to cover the tubes and the veins. The microphone was lowered to Green's mouth and from the gurney for about three minutes. Tell Andre and them that I didn't get a chance to reach my full potential, but you can. Help them reach theirs, he said according to the transcript. There was a, a lot of people that got me to this point, and I can't thank them all. But thank you for your love and support. They have allowed me to do a lot more than I could have done on my own. But I have overcome a lot, and I am not angry, but I am disappointed that I was denied justice. But I am happy I was supported you all as family and friends. Green repeated it several times, I love you, to the witnesses who mouthed the words back to him. Lethal dose was administered at 7.50 p.m. Kelly described the scene to NCR. I thought he was trying to catch his breath. Waited to say something else to us. His eyes were closing, and suddenly it dawned on me. He is dying. They are doing it. They are killing him. Green gasped, and the doctor entered the room to declare him dead at 7.59 p.m. He was beautiful, Atwood of Pax Christie told NCR on October 28th. Even on the execution gurney, he expressed gratitude. He even chuckled a few times as he saw his friend standing there. He was so thankful for the people in his life who had helped him grow as an individual. I know quite a few innocent people who were executed. And I, on the injustice system, I did some shows. Um, and there is one person that I got an email when I first started my injustice system site around 2002 and he was a cop and the city where this gentleman was arrested for murder and he said that this guy's innocent when a cop tells you a guy is innocent odds are he's telling the truth 
So I looked at the cops' website and I wrote the man a letter. He told me the story. He wrote me a nice letter. And I put it on my website. Now, his story was that, first of all, it was a family that was murdered. They were friends of his. And all four of them were murdered. And he was convicted of the murder. Now, when I sent him the letter, the prison officials sent a copy of the letter to the real killer. And I got an email from the killer. My email address was on my letterhead. And in effect, he told me that if I knew what was good for me, I'd stay out of it. So the next letter I sent, I, I mentioned this email and who it was. <clears throat> the guy was stupid enough to have his name on there. Turns out he was a brother of the victim. And, uh, the gun used was his gun. Sort of makes you think, doesn't it? But, so he told me, he said, look, this guy may find you. Don't write me anymore. I won't answer your letters. I want you to stay out of it. A few years later, I found out that he was executed. He chose the electric chair. In the state he was in, he had a choice between the electric chair and lethal injection. Now, you would think that Anybody would choose lethal injection because supposedly that's not painful, though sometimes it is. And he chose an electric chair to make a point and show how bad execution is. His last words were To the family of the victims, I'm sorry for your loss, but I didn't do it. Don't they say that your dying words are always true? I know of other ones who were executed, and it really upset me when I went through and saw, you know, afterwards, because I was out of it for about six months, or excuse me, about three years, and I really wasn't functioning for a year before I was out of it because of health problems.
So I lost contact with all these prisoners. And I was checking the prison sites to see if they were still on there and where they were. You can get the address in a lot of the states. Uh, the internet. I found a few of them same one. And I googled them and found out that a couple of them had been executed. And I looked into the executions and I found that many people that are executed are innocent. That's the main reason I am against the death penalty. Because innocent people are murdered. Another reason is the Ten Commandments say thou shalt not kill. I don't see anything in that commandment where it says unless you're the government. What about war? Well, I think war is wrong too, but you gotta convince all the people in the world, all the leaders. War is actually between leaders, it's not. Uh, they make the people fight the war for them. A lot of these people don't want to, but they have to in order to survive. So, you know, it's so hard to say that to someone don't go to war. But it's hard to say go to war, too. I feel that the war in Iraq is a war that we should never have gotten into. Some Iraqis would disagree with me, but if you look at it, people are... Many of them are worse off than they were before. And what gives us the right to go in there? Oh, they have nuclear weapons. Bullshit. They didn't have nuclear weapons. And even if they did, I mean, granted, Hussein was a bad man, and his family was bad. Maybe if George's daddy would have uh, done, the, done it back in the first war, it would have worked out then. But he did. They just decided, well, We did our job and went home. But nobody knows for sure what would have happened. Some people say, why does God allow wars? 
God gave us a mind. And he gave us the ability to think for ourselves. Sometimes we think wrong. But that's because we have a mind. And he pretty much lets us do what we want to do. Of course, in the end, we have to take the consequences if we were bad the whole time. But you can't blame God, you have to blame people. You have to blame our leaders. Now, this is an article, and I found the politics of crime. That's a good place to check out. It's talkleft.com. Story of Dominic Green by my glasses, Geraldine. The Christian Science Monitor today presents a long review of Cahill's book, Sign on Death Row. Tells the story of Dominic Green, who spent years on death row before his execution. Sister Helen Prejane wrote a book wrote of the book. There are many ways to tell the tragic story of America's death rows. Tom Cahill has chosen to show through the extraordinary life of one man that God is always looking everywhere and can bring the most beautiful soul to maturity even and even the most horrifying circumstances. As you read this story, you will never forget Dominic Green. Nor will you ever feel the same about our courts, our prisons, our criminal justice system. This book is a life changer. Cahill's website features the video. And I've I believe it's a video that I have on my show page and on my episode page. Hopefully you'll wait until I finish before you uh, watch it, but I would recommend watching it. Cahill is a religious scholar, but he covers more than religion in the book. As a Christian science monitor, Reviews said, Cahill's moving tail shines a sharp light on the, on the negligence and flawed justice system and on a state that uses death penalty far beyond any other. Texas has executed at least 425 men or people since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. 
Well, the next highest is Virginia, with 102. That green story is also a stand-in for thousands, perhaps millions of other American youths, who get into trouble because they were raised poor and in abusive environments and whose potential is often snuffed out. While Green's innocence was never, innocence was never established, Cahill says the most important question is, did he receive a fair trial? The narrative leaves little doubt that the answer is no. What's out most, though, is the incredible price society pays for indifference. Indifference to the needs of children, to flagrantly unjust system, to the use, often victims of abuse themselves, who are locked up and forgotten. I would recommend that you go to this website because the short article is not the only thing there. There are a lot of fairly long comments by the readers. I haven't had a chance to read them all, but I glanced through them, and the ones that I saw were in his favor. But I'm not going to read them, but like I say, I recommend that you do. And I'm going to do a PDF file on this book and put it on my PDF site. which is my script site, and there's links to it on, on my show page. There's so much here that I want to read. I've got a long interview with Cahill by Bill Moyers, and I think what I may do is put this on a PDF file too. In fact, I think I may have done it already. But it's getting close to quitting time now. And I think what I'm going to do play some more music. This is Classic Productions, Concrete Jungle. Yo, it's the Concrete Jungle. 
jungle that we living in And there's a plane struggling in differences The same place some call home is imprisonment But they don't give a shit, I don't think they listening On the train what remains is the images Of this thin line that dividing the riches in It's getting to the point we're destroying our own And I don't even know if we can fix it man But it's the same story, it ain't for me All the same for me, man, my aim's glory In this jungle, green past where the dope for dough Our hope floats in the citizen's hope Still trying to get rid of this dope It's crazy, it took six years to even get them to notice now So the rest is left just asking Why the only thing guaranteed is death and death They take your life, so I do all I can every day to survive. Keep my head high, eyes straight, master the walk. These strangers don't talk and police don't protect. They give me the screw eye like I'm the threat. But Mr. Officer, you the gun carrier. You fill them graves up, you carry hatred. I'm just trying to live an honest life and make song. But the color of my skin scream threat to y'all, Mr. Officer. I got enough on my plate to have to worry about you every other day. As a youth in school, they say you were safe. I remember seeing you beat my dad in the face for no reason at all on that summer night. Mistaken identity, I guess we all look alike. Yeah, right. It's the jungle. Now it's all crazy, I wish they get the president out But the president's now, instead of sending help We're spending wealth on weapons and staff Murder, murder, the government, the biggest gang In jails are overcrowded, the law of using power Rain showers, the metaphor for pain and tears Are the same people Bush said were better off They try off. to hide it, but we see it, our lens is clean I guess Kanye said it best on your TV screen It's obscene, but instead of seeing the struggle Everyone's trying to be the king of the jungle six minutes left, so I've got to talk for six minutes. Now, this show I had today was probably more for the injustice system, but I put it, did it today on this site because I couldn't wait for next week to have it on the injustice I want to look up the real about this man. I want to get together a website. 
And I'm going to contact everybody I can. This man got screwed by the system. And when the family of the victim forgives her and says, don't go on. Texas, go ahead and kill them. That's ridiculous. Test all these. Not a punishment. And it's getting. Now. Right. I should say, what about the serial numbers? Once you're going out, get it. Statements and so on. Most of the serial killers are caught or caught. They kind of produce a. In many cases, the serial killer himself told them. And then if you give it the death penalty, a lot of them want the death penalty. So it makes them harder, they think. It doesn't. They think it does. I would imagine Charles Manson was really upset when he was taken off a death row. They're no longer at the pain, and they're no, they don't have Christmas in Of course, a lot of the ones who don't realize that they screwed up don't go to hell anyway. say I do for and life for life. That was an old testament. I actually feel that those both the switches actually They're going to go to the same place that those that killed them go to. Because they are committing murder too. 
and they get those jobs because they like They aren't forced into those jobs. There is just no logical reason for the death count. Except to kill off poor people. That's what the death penalty does. And it's a shame that our society allows it. It makes me feel bad. Like Mr. Cahill said, it makes us as bad as the Romans, as bad as the so-called backward people. The uncivilized. Our country's not civilized. So, I'm going to say goodbye. I hope you have a good week. Hope you have a good year and a good life. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to come up with tomorrow's show. Here we go. Okay, tomorrow night we're going to be looking into the death of Tucky Williams. And after that, I am working on another one for the next night called, let's see if I can find that one. It's about... uh, uh, the, the U.S. It's mass incarceration in the U.S. and Palestine, and I'm working on that now. I'm uh, right now. I'm putting the two parts together in a video, and then I'm going to convert it to MP3 so I can run it on the show. So anyway. I want y'all to have a good day, a good week, a good month, and a good year. Most of all, I want you to have a beautiful life. And thank you for being you and TGY. Thank God you're alive. Oh, by the way, while this was playing, my browser went out. While I was on speaker, that would kill the show. But I'm blocked up. The show keeps going. Another time. My Skype went out on me during the show, but the show kept going because I had a recording on there. And if it was Spreaker, first of all, I wouldn't be using Skype. And so that's what I like about BlogTop. The thing I liked about Spreaker was that I could keep shows going 24-7. In fact, I, for a while, I was running three shows 24-7 for 20 bucks a month. And problem is, my the internet bill went up because I was downloading more. The last one was $91.
I think I knocked 40 bucks off of that. That's why I'm paying for for blog talk. And so I figure in the long run, I'm cut down to two shows. So I spend a lot of time on Facebook. And uh, to me, I'd rather go to a two-hour show, one two-hour show a day. Then I have other shows that I can go for 30 minutes on once a day. And so I'll probably be doing that too. And so I learned my lesson. You're thinking about going to speaker. Yeah, it's cheaper. But blog talk gives you better quality. And that's why I came back. The main thing I missed was the ease of using Skype and how Skype, even when with Skype, even if your browser does quit on you, you can still continue talking. And the show keeps going. Can't complain about that. So, what I'm going to do now, though, cut it off early. Uh, at the time I did this show, it was I had an hour show. And it was before they cut all the, the uh, free shows down to 30 minutes. And I had some shows that were an hour. I had a couple of them that were two hours. Like uh, the Justice System was two hours. The Justice System 2 was only one hour. Castle Hope, I think, was one hour, maybe two. And then I had to, uh, when they changed things, I had to pay for the two-hour show, and other shows were limited. But in the long run, I think that's better anyway. So, I already said goodbye. So I'll say it again, goodbye.